listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Let's get to see you guys. Um, uh, last week, if you missed it, Krista Merrill did an awesome job uh, in Acts. The podcast should be up sometime this week, so if you missed it, check it out. We're going to pause actually on the Acts series for the next several weeks, and we're starting a new series called The Way of Jesus. Can you say The Way of Jesus? Feels like children's church a little bit to me, maybe second grade. Uh, so we're jumping into that for the next eight weeks. And then uh, if you're like kind of OCD and you just want to know what's going on, we might veer off and go back into Acts at some point. But the plan is to, to you know, camp out on this new series, The Way of Jesus, for the next eight weeks. And then we'll hit Advent season leading up to Christmas. And then we'll jump back into Acts at that point, if you need to know those details, if you were, if you were curious. Um, so The Way of Jesus, The Way of Jesus. So Kevin still actually kicked us off in the spiritual disciplines about a month ago, but we weren't ready to jump into it. I wasn't ready. He was ready, but I wasn't ready. And so uh, we, we started gathering together. And we, so anyway, if you've missed that, I just encourage you to go back and check out that message. It's, it's on the podcast as well. What does the way of Jesus mean exactly? Well, the early church, it wasn't really called the church, by the way, if, if you didn't know that. Uh, it wasn't really referred to as that, like an adjective. In fact, uh, there were several other uh, words that were used to describe these first century followers of Jesus. They were followers of the way of Jesus. And I'm going to prove that to you in case you're curious. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 1, and we're going to do some Bible drills here. I'm going to move closer because I feel far away. John 14, verse 1. Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled, for you believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place I am going. And Thomas, one of the disciples said, uh, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is effectively saying, I am the way to God. I'm the way to God. I'm the way to know God. That's how he introduces himself is as the way. Let's turn right a little bit to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Verse one, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Turn right again to Acts chapter 19, verse eight. 19, verse eight. Same guy, different name, Paul. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned or spoke evil about or slandered the way. 
Okay, so if we were just to do a word search like in a Bible software, Logos, or like in your concordance, just search up the way, it's going to continue on throughout Acts, and then it's going to be in a few other places. It's just on and on and on again. Uh, Those who follow Jesus were first described as being a part of the way. Now, just for fun, does anybody know how many times the word Christian is in the Bible, in the New Testament? Anybody? It's, it's actually three, three times, not that many, but three times it's, it's in the New Testament. Uh, more than that, people were called a part of the way. I'm not trying to redefine anything here. Like we are Christians. We believe in Jesus. We're following Jesus. However, I, I just find the word Christian kind of unhelpful to me. Um, it, it's kind of lost its meaning. It's, it's, it's trite at worst. I mean, sometimes it's used more like in a sociological or political way. Uh, exhibit A, if you haven't been paying attention to the election cycle this season uh, and haven't opened your eyes to the uselessness of the word Christian, I mean, it's just everywhere, by the way. Um, so Christian is not necessarily the term that we are defined by in scripture. It's, it's just a few places, three places. Um, now, the word disciple is actually used a whole lot more. Uh, anybody know, anyone take a guess? 268 times. 268 times the word disciple is in uh, the New Testament. And so uh, in, in some ways, I've explained to you guys that I still have kind of a problem even like connecting to the word disciple, even though like it's there a whole lot more um, because I've grown up in this sub-Christian culture called the church in America that uses the phrase disciple. And so you'll hear people say, I, I, I'm a disciple who wants to make disciples who make disciples. And, and I don't even know if people really know what that means, but they say it all the time. And so I, I get kind of frustrated when people throw that term around without the, the proper definition. And so uh, when you look at the Bible and you look at the definitions and you look at the different translations that are out there, and you look at the original Greek, the word that's used in the Greek is mathetes. Matthew Tayson, we've I've, I've talked about this a little bit. I'm not trying to impress you uh, with my knowledge of Greek because I actually don't know that that much Greek. Uh, so, Matthew Tayson meant learner or student or apostle. Uh, I mean, apprentice, so somebody that's learning from or studying under or apprenticing under. In this case, in the first century, a rabbi. Jesus was not only the Messiah, the Son of God, but also a rabbi. And he wasn't the only rabbi that had disciples. I mean, there are lots of rabbis in that time that actually had disciples. In fact, I I may be stepping on some toes here, but Jesus didn't invent discipleship. I don't know if that's okay with you, but he, he wasn't the only one to do this thing. And so he was a teacher and he would say, hey, uh, you guys fought fishing. I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men, which is basically, I'm going to teach you how to collect other people to become a rabbi yourself. That's why it's so scandalous when like Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's learning how to, she's not only a disciple, she's learning how to be a rabbi. (laughs) So this whole idea of like women having no place in ministry or preaching or teaching, I mean, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. There's a little verse in, in 2 Timothy that Paul talks about, that's, there's actually a lot of different interpretations about that if you're, if you're curious, but we'll get into that another time. Okay, so Jesus is a rabbi. He's asking for people to follow him in an apprenticeship model, uh, learning the way of the rabbi, which is the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus. Simply put, we are disciples who are following in the way of Jesus. We're learning how to follow in the way of Jesus. 
each rabbi would have their own set of interpretation of the scriptures or the law. And they would, they would often have what that, that was called their yoke. And that's why Jesus says in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls in me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're students of Jesus, we're students of the way of Jesus. Now this, this language might sound a little strange to you, like maybe it's like a cult that's hanging out in Snook or something like that, right? Like the way, I mean, it actually, I don't know anything about Snook, but um, I do know that there is a uh, cult called the way, of Je- uh, not the way of Jesus, it's just called the way international or something like that. That's not what we're promoting here, by the way. That's not what's going on. I'm just trying to look at the biblical context to understand something that has somewhat lost its meaning. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's lost its meaning. So uh, the way of Jesus, simply put, as a disciple, we're going to reorganize our lives around three things. If you're taking notes, we're learning how to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, or become like Jesus, and then do what Jesus did or live as Jesus lived. Simple definition of what that's like to be a follower of the way of Jesus. Okay, you guys with me so far? Yes? All right, good. All right, so here's the problem. Uh, abiding by just like a set of rules or habits is, is not enough. If you've read any um, articles or case studies or modern literature about habits, it's extremely hard uh, to create new habits. A couple books that are out there, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, the Common Rules, another one. There's all kinds of literature out there about that. But what's amazing about both of these books and others is that we see a problem with our overloaded, overcommitted, overextended culture. Because we are mostly anxious. I mean, I'm anxious right now. I'm just really, just not really. Uh, we're anxious, busy, <laughs> depressed people that are like addicted and exhausted and powerless. And we're looking for freedom. We're looking for peace. And there's this dichotomy that's just really difficult. I mean, we're, we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? The old has passed away, the new has come, but we're living in this tension and just establishing a new set of rules or habits that we're gonna add on or you're gonna add on to your life while maintaining all of the other things that you have going on in your life is just not enough. It's, it's not enough and it, it will be unsuccessful. I don't know if any of you, I know a few guys right now, I don't wanna call anybody out. I know a few guys that are training for a marathon right now. Anybody train for a marathon? I know you, you guys are right now. I didn't wanna call you out, but man, it's, it's really hard. You have to show up and do this same kind of thing over and over again, and it's difficult. We actually don't need to adopt a new set of religious habits to earn our way to salvation because Jesus has already done the work. It's completed in him. But we need an overhaul of our chaotic lives that uh, realign ourselves around the person of Jesus. That's what we really need is that type of transformation. And transformation happens from the inside out, not the outside in. And Jesus talks about that uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you go to it, it's at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. That's just kind of like a summary of all of his teaching. And he gets to the very end, chapter 7, verse 24, and he says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice 
is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat up against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The way that we experience transformation is through practice. And I admit that that sounds, that word practice sounds a little academic. Um, we, don't, we don't really use that word. Maybe some medical professionals use that word. Uh, or maybe if you're, uh, maybe you're idolizing like a famous NBA, NBA basketball player. I don't know if you little guys are around the room. Not that many little guys. I'm trying to make some connections. No. Caleb might. Okay, you still do? Okay, good. Yeah, so, I mean, think about idolizing an NBA star, and you're, as a kid, as a kid, I mean, for me, it was baseball, but if, if basketball is your deal, I'm connecting most recently to my son that actually does idolize some NBA players. Maybe not as much now as he used to, but, you know, it's like, I'm going to practice, and I'm going to do the, the, the fadeaway shot, and I want to dunk like this guy. I want to wear the shoes that this guy's got. You know, he... You know, my son tried to grow a beard out like James Harden. It didn't work very well. It's working now, but uh, it wasn't working back then. Uh, We focus on these outward things, the performance of what's happening inside of the game, right? But what we don't see is the hours and hours and the lifelong pursuit of actually getting to that game where it's just muscle memory. I mean, it's like the hours spent in the gym, the hours spent going to bed early, the hours uh, spent getting up early and going to the gym, training, eating a certain way. I mean, there's all sorts of things that go into becoming that NBA star in that one moment that really have nothing to do with the shoes or the beard or anything else, right? It might have a little bit to do with the beard. But um, anyway, so I think sometimes we, we look at that and we think, man, how do I connect with this on a spiritual level with the word practice? But in, in, in the non-spiritual world, it's just something that's used all the time. I mean, this is true in all of human life. The public speaker has to practice. The musician has to practice. The, the NBA star has to practice. This is what Dallas Willard said about this. Successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially upon the depths of a self wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being in mind and body. So God's grace in our life, it doesn't automatically change us into this perfect human. I mean, look around. Are you perfect? I'm not perfect. Uh, So like the practice has to be put in and the secret of this way is learning to model our lives after Jesus. Uh, Jesus even had to prepare, right? He was in, you know, not in the public eye for mostly 30 years, right? Except this little blip on the radar, age 12, he shows up and even the scribes are like, what's up with this kid? Like he knows some stuff on another level. Where did he learn this stuff, right? Um, And then he gets baptized by his cousin and then instantly, He goes into solitude for 40 days, hanging out in the desert, alone with God, praying. Jesus, the son of God's doing this stuff. I mean, for us, I mean, how much more do we need to be practicing these same things? We look at Jesus, the secret of living this way of Jesus and following the practices is is looking at him. Um, When I was in second grade, let me tell you a little story. When I was in second grade, I really wanted to play the piano. 
And one day, I worked up enough courage to ask my mom. It was 1994, Ford Aerostar van. I don't know if anybody remembers the Ford Aerostar. It was tan. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, I remember asking my mom, working up all the confidence to ask her, Mom, I really, can I, can you, can we, can I play piano? Can I, can you find a teacher for me to play piano? And she was just so excited, yes, and she knew somebody Mrs. Farmer, who took me on as a student, and then I studied under Mrs. Farmer until I was uh, 12 years old, sixth grade. And Mrs. Farmer called. I remember the day. I was so nervous. She called my parents, and she said, uh, Mr. Rush, I, I, I have taught Ben. I have got a gnat. I have taught Ben everything that I can, and so um, I, I think he needs to find another teacher. And she recommended this other guy, 80-year-old guy, Mr. Telchik, who was a concert pianist who had toured the world. He was a Steinway signature piano signer. Not that that matters anything to any of you guys. And I remember going to the audition and he had two nine foot Steinways in his living room. And one of them was the one he would teach lessons on. And I get up and play my little dinky song to kind of audition. And he decides that he's going to take me on. And I, I begin to apprentice under this rabbi of the ivory, so to speak. You know, I'm just like following this guy. I'm wanting to be like Mr. Telchek. He was weird. He smelled funny, but he could play the piano, right? I wasn't trying to buy the clothes he was wearing. I wanted to play like this guy. And so eventually my parents buy me my own Steinway. And I'm, I'm cranking it out all the time. And then another story I'll tell later, but eventually I have an upright Yamaha something something in my bedroom with the silencer. I had an, a silencer added to it because I was trying to get into Juilliard and the Rice uh, uh, Shepherd School of Music and actually get it, did get into Shepherd School, but that's another deal. So I am practicing at the peak of my practicing. I was practicing six hours a day in my bedroom. It's like cra crazy. <laughs> when I think about that now, I'm like, I would never do that. <laughs> but I was so dedicated to do it. Like I really, really, like I wanted to be like this guy I wanted to do the things he did. This was my goal. I, I, I apprenticed under him, learning his ways. And that's the same thing that we do. We're practicing to become like Jesus, to finish his work here on earth that he's called us to do. Even being with Jesus alone is just, it's a difficult, it's a challenge because we're so busy with our lives. Becoming like Jesus is this process of sanctification. Um, that's the process. And so, like I said, we're filled and united with Christ when we decide to follow him. But then there's this gap, right, between our new identity in Christ that he's already paid for and then the reality or the identity maybe that we believe about ourselves. There's this gap. And so the process of becoming more like Jesus, it's not a one and done deal. It's like the rest of our lives, the rest of your life. You're going to be pursuing Jesus and you're going to stub your toe and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail and you're going to get back up again and you're going to continue to follow in this way. And so that's, that's what the spiritual life is all about. And so um, we practice this way. It's called spiritual formation, you know, modernly, uh, back in the day, maybe in the churches you grew up in or maybe you heard it talked about in the theological way, sanctification. It's this process of becoming more holy, more set apart, more like Jesus. And so um, these practices, they're not, the, they're not the way that we change necessarily. Like it's not all up to us. There is a tension. 
So if we do it with poor motives, I mean, it's just not going to result in anything. But if it's surrendered to the Holy Spirit, it's that combination of our effort and God's grace. We're putting ourselves in a position to just receive from God and respond to him. That's it. That's really it. And so there's all sorts of practices that we're going to be jumping into, uh, silence and solitude and prayer and simple learning, sacrificial living, studying, meditation, serving others, all kinds of stuff. These are, these are the practices of Jesus. We can look at, at the early church. We can see the practices that they followed as well. It's all throughout Acts. When we get back into it, you'll see it. So the goal is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, that we would be overtaken by his beauty. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, uh, 12 verse 2. It says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So that's the purpose. That's what's going on here. Jesus intended for us, our, his disciples, to do the things he did and taught. He expected obedience. It wasn't about knowledge and memorization or just like um, thinking about doing something. It was like, actually, no, I want you to do this thing. <laughs> And so for me, it's like as a church, what if we, instead of just talking about prayer, we actually prayed, right? What if instead of studying about um, serving those that are the least of these, that we actually did that stuff, right? I mean, that's the thing that I'm hungry for. I'm tired of just reading and consuming and learning about the stuff to do. I'm ready to do this stuff, right? So that's what we're going to be doing in our communities. That's, I mean, we talk about citizens' communities. If you're new here, this is just one of our gatherings. I mean, we gather throughout the week. We got three communities, two in Bryan, one in College Station uh, right now. And we hope to multiply those. One day we'll have six, nine, whatever, and just keep growing. And that way we saturate Bryan College Station with the love of Jesus. And the way that we're going to do that is learning to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what Jesus did, and apply ourselves to these practices in, in surrender to him and in obedience to him, finding ways to, okay, you know what? We're going to serve the city tonight in our communities. We're going to find some way to just partner with a nonprofit here in town. Maybe it's an organization that, you know, it's a food pantry or it's a, a homeless shelter or something like that, some area where there's just a great need. Again, it's not, it's not information that we're trying to memorize. It's, it's action-based. We can't learn by just watching. We have to actually apply ourselves and do the stuff. We learn by doing. We learn by doing the stuff that Jesus practiced, what he taught, the way that he lived. Um, he invited his disciples into this new way of living, and it's an invitation really for all of us. It's an invitation for all of us. There's a book called Practicing the Way of Jesus by Mark Scandrett. And he says this, the earliest disciples of Jesus identified themselves as followers of the way, suggesting that they viewed apprenticeship to Jesus as a way of life. The combination of right belief and right living or what we might call orthopraxy. But he also asks us to do some really crazy stuff like love our enemies and turn the other cheek and forgive continually, live without lust or greed or jealousy, and to be perfect. Seriously, uh, anyone who tries to do this soon finds out uh, putting this stuff into practice, it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, without a source of power and love that's greater than our own. Our failures bring us to recognize our need for inner transformation first. Inner transformation first. That God, like you would transform me, this broken guy. I'm so needy. I'm so desperate for you. Transform me before, 
we go out into the community, right? And it happens inside out, not outside in. So my invitation, it's simple. Let's, let's practice the way of Jesus together. Let's do this together. Be with Jesus every moment with him, just living in this constant state of dependence on him and surrender to him, connection to, awareness of the spirit of God. And that takes practice. It takes practice. I mean, for me, gosh, this last week, I turned my iPhone on grayscale mode. I deleted Safari and Facebook and Instagram and mail notifications and text notifications because I just kind of like, I get into this state where I, I, I'm not living in a place of peace. I'm living in this place of hurry and this place of anxiety and stress. Like, am I going to miss something? You know, I need to, I need to be available for what? I don't, I don't know. What about to God? Like, I want to be available to him. Become like Jesus. That's the other invitation that we would, uh, say yes to the hard uh, activity of spiritual formation. Um, It's the process of being transformed into the same likeness as Jesus, same characteristics as him. Um, Doing what Jesus did is us carrying on his message, like I've been talking about. Wherever we go, we join in uh, with what Jesus is doing in the world. Here's the short list. Preaching, teaching, healing, eating and drinking with people far from God, doing justice, making peace, praying, prophesying, standing up against corruption in the political systems, in the church. Uh, That's the goal. That's what Jesus did. And we carry on that message so that BCS becomes like the kingdom of heaven. As it is in heaven, let it be in BCS. That's our prayer. So as I close, Jesus says to us, come follow me. And that's a call to you. It's a call to anybody. It's a call to everybody. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your life looks like today. It doesn't matter if this is your first time in a church. The call is the same. Come follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, hey, uh, raise your hand and you're a Christian. You get to go to heaven. That's not in the Bible. Jesus never said that. He says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I want to teach you a new way of living. I want to teach you a way to connect with God. The invitation is for you. It's for me. We want to experience God. We're going to do that through practice and through community. And we're not expected to do this stuff alone. It's too hard. It's just too hard. We need to be able to depend on one another to continue to point us to Jesus. Right? It's too hard on our own. Sometimes we'll just check out. If you're in a group or in a community, you've got somebody else calling you out. Hey, you said you were going to do, you said you were going to pray for 15 minutes a day. How'd it go? Go good? And, and, and then you feel like, man, I, I didn't do it. I, I got to show up, you know? But it's that practice of doing that accountability. That's what it looks like in, in a community. All right, we're all invited to do this. You're invited to do it. I'm excited about it. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church Podcast.